This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, September 9th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, there's more evidence that EV charging is a big problem for renters. Tesla wants tax breaks for potential expansion in Texas. And Nissan raises the stakes in its ongoing Carlos Ghosn case. Plus, does a national right to repair law spell doom for dealership service departments? Research shows probably not. It turns out if you were going to the dealer before right to repair, you're probably going to keep going to the dealer. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Renters and condo dwellers are less likely to opt for electric vehicles because of charging hurdles. That's what J.D. Power found in a new survey. The researcher said that home equipment supports 84% of all EV charging in the U.S. That equipment is typically in an owner's garage or within easy driveway access. However, a sizable chunk of Americans don't live in single-family homes, about 36%. That mirrors the 34% of new vehicle shoppers who lack access to home charging. Half of the people who were not interested in an EV in the J.D. Power survey cited lack of public charging as their main deterrent. A different survey of car buyers by CDK Global found 40% of shoppers would wait until they have a garage to purchase an EV. You can find more about the survey and about so-called right-to-charge laws at autonews.com or in our upcoming print edition of Automotive News. Despite the obstacles to widespread EV adoption, Tesla sales are growing and the company continues to expand. It's plotting a potential lithium refinery on the Gulf Coast of Texas. It's a move that would bolster the company's battery production efforts and grow its footprint in the state. Tesla has told officials that the refinery would be the first of its kind in North America. The company says it's also evaluating a competing site in Louisiana. That's according to an application for tax breaks filed with the Texas Comptroller's Office. Tesla says construction could begin as soon as the fourth quarter of this year, but wouldn't reach commercial production for two years. Here's an interesting development in the U.S. vehicle market. Used vehicle prices are getting a bit closer to historically normal levels. Wholesale used vehicle prices fell substantially in August. That caps off a summer that has been marked by more gradual monthly price declines. Cox Automotive says auction prices declined 4% in August compared with July. Wholesale prices remain elevated year over year. They're almost 8.5% higher in August than the same time last year. Those numbers are adjusted for mix, mileage, and seasonality. And Nissan is increasing the pressure on former chairman Carlos Ghosn and his accused accomplice in the automaker's civil case against both men. Nissan is dramatically jacking up its damage claims against Ghosn and Greg Kelly. Prosecutors accused the men of hiding more than $80 million and postponed Ghosn compensation from 2010 to 2018. Both men were arrested the same day in November 2018. The former high-flying chairman remains exiled in his ancestral homeland of Lebanon after fleeing Japan in a dramatic dark-of-night escape in December of 2019, during which he was hidden in a box. In March, 
Kelly was cleared by a Japanese criminal court of most of Nissan's accusations, but the automaker filed a motion in June seeking to triple the amount he could be found liable for, more than $30 million. Nissan is seeking $108 million in damages from Gone. Both men deny any wrongdoing. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, I find that J.D. Power survey very interesting. Does it seem like the EV space is alienating a certain social class? Sure. Uh, you know, for now, EVs are still very expensive. Uh, they do require, essentially require personal infrastructure. You've got to have charging at home or at your workplace uh, that you can access regularly. So it really, it does leave out a lot of people. It's very hard for Americans who live in apartments to, you know, find enough charging on the street. But we're still in the early days of this technology, right? It's really about building toward the 2030s. In five or 10 years, a University of Michigan researcher just told me, uh, you know, we could have solid commercialized, industrialized, solid state batteries that bring the price of vehicles down, maybe allow them to charge faster. So there's a lot of time to work this out and, and try to bring more opportunity to more of the consumer public. I see. Well, coming up, a research firm says automakers' efforts to defeat right-to-repair legislation is a waste of time and money. We'll hear from Ducker Carlisle Managing Director Nate Chenenko next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish-language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Repairing a car isn't as straightforward as it used to be. Instead of nuts and bolts, wiring, and mechanical equipment that used to make up just about everything in a vehicle, it's now just as often about computer chips and software. Manufacturers often put limits on who can access parts, tools, diagnostics, firmware, and other materials needed to fix that technology. Proposed state and federal laws would allow vehicle owners and independent businesses to repair electronic devices that they own or service without any manufacturer or technical restrictions. That idea has riled many automakers and franchise dealers alike. But the fight over right to repair is fruitless for automakers, strategy firm Ducker Carlisle says. Their research shows that voters would approve right to repair legislation no matter how hard automakers try to defeat it. 
Dr. Carlisle's research also reveals customers will not leave dealership service departments, as many fear. Instead, customers will stay or leave a repair shop depending on how well they are treated. Senior editor Dan Schein talks with Ducker Carlisle Managing Director Nate Chenenko about the firm's research on this topic. Here's their conversation. The debate over right to repair laws has roiled the automotive industry for years. Massachusetts voters approved a controversial ballot measure in 2020 that expanded the state's existing right to repair law. Manufacturers of vehicles sold in the state are required to equip vehicles that use telematics systems with a standardized open access data platform beginning with the 2022 model year. It also gives vehicle owners and independent repair shops access to real-time information from telematics such as crash notifications, remote diagnostics, and navigation. The Alliance for Automotive Innovation, which represents most U.S. automakers, is locked in a legal battle with the Massachusetts Attorney General over this legislation. The Alliance has argued the state's amended right to repair law conflicts with several federal laws, poses cybersecurity and vehicle safety risks, and sets an unreasonable timeline for compliance. A U.S. district judge has yet to rule on the case. Separately, a few national right to repair bills have been introduced in Congress this year. Research firm Ducker Carlisle has been looking into this issue since 2012. Late last year, the firm used a survey to put a new spin on their research and came up with some surprising results. Here to tell us what those are is Nate Chenenko, Managing Director at Ducker Carlisle. Nate, thanks for joining me on the Fixed Ops Friday edition of Daily Drive. Dan, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about uh, the right to repair uh, survey that you did and kind of how you it's kind of looked at the issue from a different angle than what a lot of the research has been looking at it. Sure. Yeah. Let me provide a bit of context here, Dan. The Ducker Carlisle exists uh, and our strategy arm primarily exists in order to help companies grow their business in parts and service, which a lot of people call fixed operations or after sales. And we, as a result, have been looking at right to repair because right to repair is a topic that a lot of people think may have big implications on the after sales business. If people can or cannot get their vehicle serviced where they are used to going or where they want to go, that obviously could have a big impact. A lot of the existing press and research out there on the topic has always focused a lot on the particulars of the legislation, what's exactly included, what the technology is, what the rules are, what the regulations are. And we're not lawyers, we're not a law firm, we're not a lobbying firm. And I am certainly not an expert in the wording of every regulation, but as a strategy company, we are interested and able to understand the implications of the law on the business moving forward. So you did a survey of vehicle owners and kind of asked them a few different questions. and and. Kind of found some surprising results on if this law were to pass, what the results would be for for dealership service departments mostly. Yeah, part of this all started because our company is headquartered in the Boston area, so all of our Boston-based staff see the television ads that are pro and anti-right to repair, and some of those ads are, shall I say, a little bit over the top, and we were wondering how effective they were. The first group saw like a generic right to repair message that we just pulled straight off Wikipedia. So it's totally neutral. The second group saw a pro right to repair message and pro right to repair in this sense means that it's 
customers will have the ability to get their vehicle serviced wherever they want. That's a very sort of generic take. And then the third group saw the anti-right to repair message that a lot of the auto manufacturers and the auto alliance puts out that rejects that pro-right to repair message. So we set up these three groups and then surveyed over 2000 people to see what their feelings were about right to repair. And a lot of people said, regardless of the message that they saw, that they would vote yes on right to repair. And I think this sort of matches our gut feeling and also matches the results of the referendums in Massachusetts most recently, and then the one back almost a decade ago now. So none of those were terribly surprising. When we started to look at the different messages put out, none of the messages really had a huge impact. The biggest impact was the anti-right to repair match, where 21% of them would vote no on right to repair. But that's still not terribly close to the number of people who need to vote no in order to get anything to happen. So that was the first finding that we had. And then we started to move into things that were more interesting than just saying, you know, this is probably going to pass. Again, that's not our job. We don't do political message testing here. We wanted to know what the impact on the business would be. So we looked at where all of those people had been getting serviced and where they would get serviced if right to repair passed. And it turns out if you were going to the dealer before right to repair, you're probably going to keep going to the dealer. If you were going to an aftermarket chain like a Firestone Complete Auto Care or a Jiffy Lube, you're probably going to keep going there. And if you go to an independent repairer like the you know, local garage on the corner, you're probably going to keep going there. And right to repair does not have a big impact on where people say that they will get serviced in the future. Uh, so those are the first two of our findings. And then uh, we, we had to make a connection to what to do with all of that information. It's kind of surprising because, again, there's been so much on both sides of the issue, millions upon millions of dollars spent, at least on more heavily on one side, to kind of defeat these laws. But it kind of comes, again, it comes down to customer satisfaction. If you're taking your car somewhere and you're happy with the way it's going, you're going to stay there regardless of what laws are on the books. And, and, if, and if you go somewhere and you don't like what they're doing, you're going to go somewhere else. And it doesn't matter, again, right. what the laws are. Yeah, that's the perfect lead into the finding A is people just don't restricted by legislation on where they can or can't get their car serviced. There may be some sort of edge cases where people are looking for a little bit more information than they're legally entitled to. The industry may have made it available or maybe not. Again, that's not my area of expertise. So that's finding one is that people just don't feel restricted by these laws. Uh, finding two, which I think is far more interesting even than that, is that the reason that people would switch service providers after right to repair passed has statistically nothing to do with the right to repair law and everything to do with, as you said, their satisfaction level with their current service provider. And the reason that we discovered this is because we realized, so if you look at people who were getting serviced at the dealer, and then you ask them where they would get serviced after right to repair passes, a lot of people said that they would switch away from the dealer. But that doesn't logically make any sense because there's no reason to switch away from the dealer if right to repair passes. You're already like you're already going to the dealer. And the same is true on the other side. I would never switch to the dealer if right to repair passed. I could go to the dealer today. 
And so what we realized, the only reason that people would switch to the dealer is if they were unhappy with their current service provider, not because there's a law. And then we ran a bunch of statistics that I won't bore people with, but it says that the outcomes are people who are satisfied with their service provider, they're gonna stay with that service provider. People who are unsatisfied with their service provider are gonna switch. Right to repair passing is like totally unrelated to their decision to switch. And if you wanna put some numbers on it, the differences in the net promoter score, which is a statistical satisfaction measurement that's used across probably every industry in the economy at this point, it's often a 20 plus point difference in net promoter score between people who are going to stay at their current service provider and people who are going to leave service providers. And again, that net promoter score has nothing to do with right to repair currently and right to repair just doesn't affect their preferences in the future. And so the bottom line is, is that the, the Alliance for one is spending tens of millions of dollars, you know, almost 300 million if, you know, according to some reports on, that they spent to kind of try and defeat these laws. And what your research is kind of saying is stop spending money on that. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to people. They're going to come or go if they're happy with their service. Yeah. And, and maybe put that money towards, you know, improving customer service in, in dealerships. Yeah, the, there are, I'm sure, some good reasons for the Alliance to fight against right to repair. Uh I think that if it were up to me solely, Dan, my personal opinion is that that money would be far better spent improving customer satisfaction to the point where people want to go get serviced at the dealer rather than maybe required to get serviced at the dealer or find it difficult to get serviced outside the dealer. I think that would benefit the entire industry. I think it would benefit dealers and manufacturers substantially and would really help the consumer, which if you can keep your consumers happy, then they always say service sells the next car. It probably has some long-term benefits. Really interesting insights into you know a very controversial and big topic in, in the service world. Nate, thanks so much for uh, being on with us and telling us more about uh, Tucker Carlisle's work in this area. Thanks, Dan. Happy to come back anytime. Thanks. Nate Chininko is Managing Director with Ducker Carlisle. He spoke with our own Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on rights to repair, companies battling their former executives, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation with that University of Michigan researcher about the challenges to develop and commercialize solid-state batteries. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.